Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin Bottom Line. I'm your host, Stephen McClure, joined by CJ Wilson. What's up, Stephen? How's it going, man? You look uh, you look invigorated since I've seen you last. I'm a little bit invigorated. I just got back from Mexico. Uh, right. I was at a Satoshi Roundtable all weekend. Cool. Uh, so that's a fun event that I try to attend uh, at, at least every other year. So I think with the international travel thing, it's important that we we ha we bring up a topic. I, I'd say like I'd like to lead with this. Um, let's talk about international Bitcoin adoption, right? We we did a show on this a couple of months ago where we were talking about you know El Salvador, Panama, some of these other smaller countries. Um, do you? But the the thing that comes up all the time is people are critical of Bukele. People are critical of Joe Biden. People are critical of Justin Trudeau. People are always critical of these country leaders, right? So do you think that's going to change at all? I mean, is this going to be a material change once we have more countries adopting Bitcoin? Are Bitcoiners going to sort of like forgive and forget or, or just turn a blind eye to the, to the Bitcoin friendly uh, regimes, I guess? You know, I, I think on the one hand, you're no, right? I mean, if, if, you're violating human rights. You're, I, I, don't, I don't care what currency you use, you know, I mean, you, sh you should be criticized. You should be uh, called out, you know, on, on the other hand, I used to really, I, I used to manage emerging market debt, right. Mm -hmm. And sovereign credit. And, and all I did was analyze government risk and what was, what was, what was going on in governments, what was, uh, you know, what, if they had human rights violations, uh, what the leader was for, uh, what the regime was like, what the potential of a coup was, things like that. And the one thing that I realized is a lot of people that come into power uh, that want to actually make positive changes for their countries have a difficult time doing that all at once, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the people that are very practical, you know, let, let, let's look at Saudi Arabia. That's a really good example of a country that's made really small progressive strides, but has really been, you know, uh, a, a pretty bad kingdom for, you know, a very long time. Uh, you know, reporters turn up missing, turn up dead. Um, anybody that, that, that comes out against the government turns out dead. But recently we've seen some, some small strides. The reality is if you try to change everything all at once, then, you probably could be assassinated. There could be a coup. Uh, you would look weak. So you've got to change things very slowly in a lot of these countries, unless, of course, there's a revolution from inside mm -hmm. and uh, and a new group takes over, right? And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. Uh, usually the, the new group is just as bad as the, the old group, right? I mean, just look at, you know, look, look at look at Russia, for instance, right? You know, mm -hmm. um, the Bolsheviks were, you know, were awful. The workers rose up and then you created a, a regime where, where, you know, millions of people were murdered. So how does that work in a place, you know, like, like El Salvador, for instance, you know, I mean, there's, there's been some issues there. And, uh, but what I will say on the positive side is when you have a new leader that's trying to bring about at least some reform and some freedom, I mean, changing your entire currency system to Bitcoin for the hope of financial freedom is one step in the direction of overall freedom, overall human rights. So, you know, this is, this is a good step in making strides in the right direction, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I think one of the hardest things that when we're talking to to no coiners, right, and they they criticize Bitcoin, they're saying, oh, you know, yeah, but back in 2013, this happened. And back in 2014, this happened. And it's like, okay, yeah, but back on Wall Street, this happened. Back at HSBC, this happened. You know, it's like, what system are we really trying to protect by being anti-Bitcoin? And that's what I sort of have. the I, When you try to have these higher level Socratic like arguments where you're saying, OK, let's let's go at this without any attacks, without any like, you know, personal stuff. But let's look at this like you're saying on a broad long term scale. And the hardest thing about democracy in a lot of ways, and I know there's been some debates about this recently, uh, especially with with El Salvador using that example. They were like, oh, well, he swept out all these people and, you know, he basically took his whole party and ran the whole Congress or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe he had to because those people were part of the problem. Right. And it's like we always say this. We're like, oh, you know, we need to change. We need to change this. We need to change that. It's like, OK, this guy really did change everything. Right. He changed a bunch of people. He changed the Supreme Court situation, whatever. Um, so it's like you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't as a leader, whether it's as a right. CEO or as a as a president. Um, or pr prime minister or something like that. If it, I think the, the thing that we've as Bitcoiners looked at is the people that are overly willing to protect the status quo are actually probably the darkest people because those are the people that are basically protecting all these all these sort of shadow puppet games that have been going on for a long time, especially if there's a human rights violation. So as you're seeing a transition to new power, if Bitcoin is a, the an engine that drives that, or a, you know, a well that that waters that, or something, I think it's I think it's positive. But like you said, in a lot of ways, we we tell everybody as Bitcoiners, hey, have a low time preference, be patient, you know. But then if something doesn't snap forward right away, it's like they lose their they lose their mind, and they're like, oh, but he's this guy's done this for six months or a year or whatever. If you think about it, like. Bukele came out with the announcement at Bitcoin 21, right? That's really when the El Salvador thing happened. So that was like not even a year ago. I mean, it was like that was in what May of last year or something like that. So June, June, yeah, yeah. June, yeah. So it's really only been about half a year, you know, as as the date of this daring. But I think it's very interesting because we're talking about this like, oh, you know, free markets are beneficial and things like that. But there always is going to be some level of government intervention with the money of the, co the country and the, the, the trade of the country. Right. And so as you see those those two things do, you know, like do battle company or, you know, countries like America, companies like Exxon Valdez, companies like Shell, like BP, like Apple, you know, these huge like big fingerprints companies, you know, Ford or, you know, whatever else. It, it's going to be very hard to just snap snap change those. Um, in, unless they're a privately held company, because if they're publicly held, they have like all these investors and all this other stuff. So it's just as complicated as changing Congress, Senate, Supreme Court and the executive branch. Right. All at the same time. And I think that's where we need to sort of like talk our book a little bit better about being patient, because we have to say that there's an objective that we want to see things happen. But democracy doesn't always work to speeding things up. Sometimes it actually slows things down because there's a lot of there's a lot of meat in the middle on the bell curve. That's basically, you know, they're the, they're in the middle for a reason and they're not really they're, they're they're sort of being weaponized against each edge at the same time. You know, whether that's on a political spectrum or an intelligence spectrum or a, you know, a salary spectrum or whatever, there's there's always a, a big there's always pointy ends that that really kind of drive the narrative, I think, whether that's the truckers or the, the the Silicon Valley hedge funds or VCs or whatever. There's always like this kind of thing. And I, I think I think Bitcoin doesn't necessarily fix that yet. It it will fix it over time. Yeah. 
Well, look, monetary systems and political systems, they, they need a high time preference. That's, that's exactly where that's same. It takes a long time for these things to move. And uh, we're, we're off in a good direction. Uh, and we have several other countries that looks like are contenders uh, to become the next, uh, the next Bitcoin nation behind El Salvador. I mean, look what's happened in El Salvador already. I mean, how many people do you know has placed residency there in the mm -hmm. last six months? I know a lot of people that have. Yeah, I know a lot of people are interested in going too. And that was the thing, like El Salvador was not on the sort of Central American tourism scoreboard. Uh, it was Costa Rica. You know, people wanted to go there to surf and stuff like that. That was like the number one place in, in, the, in that region that I was thinking of. You know, I think people would go to Dominican Republic and the Caribbean. People would go to, uh, you know, they would go to hike Machu Picchu or something like that. They want to maybe go to the Galapagos Islands or, you know, something like that. That whole sort of from Mexico down, you know, Central and South America, El Salvador was never in the conversation until Bitcoin Beach. You know, that was the that was really the first time they ever even came onto the stage. And I think I read last last year, just the last calendar year. So basically January 21 to December 31st, I think they took in like over a billion dollars in tourist, um, you know, tourist money from just people, you know, basically coming in there. And, and that's awesome. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's the whole point. It's the revolution in small steps, right? Because it's like you said, no one wants to get assassinated. So you have to resolute the re revolution needs to kind of just build momentum like a snowball and just kind of get a little bit bigger as it goes. Well, and we've talked about this before, right? You know, right now in the last last two years, the entire world has gotten very mobile, right? People are people are moving into communities of, of like-minded people, right? They're not held down by where their jobs are anymore. They're either working remotely or finding new jobs or not working at all, right? They're 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 moving they're they're moving into places where they feel like people are more like-minded, places where uh, it's a better environment for business, mm -hmm. better environment for taxes. I mean, we, we we've talked about people that are moving to places like Texas, Florida, and Tennessee uh, mm -hmm. that have zero income taxes. And then people from those places are moving to Puerto Rico to get zero federal taxes. Uh, people in Western Europe, particularly in the UK, are moving to Portugal mm -hmm. because of the tax treatment there and the openness and uh, uh, the ability to do business there and the freedom that's there. Uh, same thing, you know, already mentioned Puerto Rico and, and now El Salvador, right? People that, that were going to go to Puerto Rico are saying, no, no, El Salvador, that's, that's, that's where I want to be. I want to avoid taxes altogether, right? And, uh, and not have any liability uh, and be in a place that's open-minded, that, that respects financial freedom, that uses Bitcoin as a currency, you know? Yeah, and, that, and that's where like the geographic identity comes in a lot for the individual place, right? Because as, the, as that individual place can be known as something new, something better, you could always augment whatever you're known for, right? So if you're the, if you're the, the state that has the best fishing, you can have the best fishing and the best Wi-Fi, right? You can have the best fishing and a great university program or, you know, whatever. So it, it, I think that the states that are going to take advantage of it have, have a unique advantage over countries, which is to say that it's easier to stay in power as a governor, you know, and create that state identity than it is in a way with the, uh, the, the president, which the president is basically number one target nonstop. Right. Whether it's a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or a liberal or a socialist or whatever, if you were the president of a country, especially a country that has media attention, 
then you're going to get just a nonstop wall of doom and gloom in your in your inbox. Um, and you're going to get a lot of resistance because there's more the higher stakes are there, you know, but it, like we were talking about this before we started along those lines, uh, places that are already Bitcoin competitive are actually trying to take it up a notch, right? They're trying to like really crank it up to prove that they're the most Bitcoin friendly, you know, uh, governor candidates or something like that. Yeah. Well, and this has just happened in Texas, right? This is this yeah. is what's really interesting is, 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 you know, CJ, I know you spent a lot of time in Texas, uh, orange pilling people like Ted Cruz, uh, meeting with Abbott, meeting with, with a lot of other uh, representatives of that state. And they're on board. I mean, they're welcoming miners. They're, they're welcoming commerce. They're welcoming fintech companies. I mean, they're all in. And to have a governor like Abbott who's already pro-Bitcoin and then is being challenged by another governor that says, not only am I all Bitcoin, I'm going to make it the state currency. I mean, right. it's just like just one up and, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, so tell me what's going on in that situation. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think we saw that incentive to sort of out Bitcoin each other when you had uh, Suarez and Eric Adams, you know, yeah. in that sort of thing. And then the Tampa mayor came in and said, oh, you know, I'm going to do all my entire salary in Bitcoin uh, after after they had won the race. So I think with with, you know, the spectrum you know, the needle kind of moves around a little bit, right? And so you have people that are sort of, let's say, anti-Bitcoin, and then you kind of come back to the middle, and then you're maybe like, you know, open-minded about Bitcoin, and then you kind of peg it over to the other side, and then you're pro-Bitcoin. And then you have somebody that's like on the red line, and they're like bouncing it off the rev limiter, and they're like, no, I'm super pro-Bitcoin. I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. And I think that's where we're seeing not only like Bitcoin friendly, but Bitcoin maximalism from states. And if there was a state that was willing to sort of take on the entire establishment, the all 49 states at the same time, uh, you, of course, it would be Texas, right? Texas is like Texas yeah. and maybe is it New Hampshire or Vermont, like one of those two states? New Hampshire is, like, is, I mean, crazy, right? I mean, that is, right. I mean, yeah, their, their slogan is, is, is live free or die, right? Right. I mean, there's some high stakes there. That's the whole point. And so Texas is willing to play for the high stakes. It's literally Texas Hold'em, right? So I think Texas is looking to attract the mining industry. And they've taken a lot of people that have moved from, you know, different places in China. They've moved their operations to they've they've gone from mining off of, uh, you know, hydroelectric power part of the year or coal the other part of the year into mining off natural gas. There's a sort of natural transition there to, to mining off the stranded energy. And I think Texas has so much potential because it is such an oil and gas energy focused state. And with their grid being open, it just really promotes that sort of libertarian, hey, let's all go for it the best we can and, 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 and let the market sort of decide if we've gone too far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. I mean, uh, the funny thing is Abbott is, is generally pretty well liked in Texas. And so to see people come at him so hard as a governor, governor candidate, I'm kind of like, man, can one of these guys just come to California? Can we just get one, like, you know, credible <laughs> politician to run against our our incredibly terrible politician that's our governor? But that's the problem is that, like, until somebody unseats the governor of a state, like, it's it's kind of like being in Congress. You can just stay there if you continue to win these elections. Yeah. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see if uh, Abbott goes from what I would consider to be uh, pro-Bitcoin, but maybe pro, like, totally pro-blockchain into like a maximalist as a, as a defensive mechanism to sort of protect his stance. I think 
that's where, where it's interesting. And I, I mean, I don't know. I think Texas is, is going to be a really interesting like spearhead for the Bitcoin movement and to see yeah. if Texas succeeds. Tennessee, I believe, is going to take some some measures. I think Kentucky will take some measures. Wyoming, obviously, is sort of like yeah. a way out there on, on their own thing. But it still surprises me that that Bitcoin is not a bigger deal in Utah and Colorado and Idaho. Some of these, you know, more frontier type states where you have a little bit more of that libertarian mindset because people experience all four seasons. They have snow, they have rivers, they have waterfalls, they have, you know, natural gas, they have coal. They have all these different different ways of cobbling together the energy grid and you know education and all that other stuff so i think like if if i was running for governor in montana or utah or idaho i would be looking at what they're doing in texas and wyoming and say you know i think we need more of that because that's going to be attracting industries building jobs in in my state and that's what i want if i'm if i'm a if i'm a a governor yeah I, i i agree with that and um but yeah you're right new hampshire is really interesting right because there's a lot of there's a lot of Bitcoiners um, moving to New Hampshire. There's a lot of fintech companies moving there. Um, you know, obviously we had the the new mayor of Portsmouth uh, to take his salary in Bitcoin, which is really cool. Um, you know, and and that's that's one of the key cities in that state. And it's also what's interesting there is a lot of these people that we're talking about. Uh, most of them are coming from the Republican Party. Most of them have a very libertarian slant. Mm-hmm. And for people that are progressives, uh, progressive Democrats, to then buy into Bitcoin too, I think is I think is really interesting. So um, you know, and we're starting to see that even with the uh, you know the, uh, the the mayor of New York City, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's a progressive, and uh, he's he's all in on Bitcoin as well. So. Uh, so yeah, I think it's I think it's good that we're seeing this across all parties. You know, this is, yeah. this is a partisan issue. North should it be? This right. Is but getting circling back to that earlier commentary about how you know the Bitcoiners are going to obviously Bitcoin is going to be so normalized in the next five to seven years. I think that it's just going to be you know everybody's using it. I really think that that's sort of the window for us in America that we're going to see that adoption kind of like S curve up. And, and go where it's kind of like gradually building a little bit and it's just going to it's just going to wick straight up. We're going to have a big green wick of adoption in the next maybe, you know, 24 to 36 months. That's going to carry that momentum and we're going to break gravity from sort of the status quo. And the reason why I think that is just because the tools keep getting better, right? The wallets are getting better. More businesses are accepting it. You have these other states that are sort of willing to, I would say, it. it, it come up with their own legislation, whether that's, you know, being pro crypto, pro Bitcoin, um, canceling, canceling the sort of uh, capital gains aspect of it, which prevents a lot of people from spending it now because they're too worried about all these like sort of capital gains complications. I think as more people get into it, it's going to be seen as I, I keep we, we go to the voting block thing a lot. But I think a lot of Bitcoiners have just sort of not participated in voting for a long time because the people that are really Bitcoin centric are not necessarily, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're, they like being off the grid. They don't want to register for anything, right? That's sort of been part of the freedom thing has been the anonymity. But I think people are going to start taking that into their own hands as they see that they can have an influence on the elections and can choose Bitcoin-friendly candidates uh, for mayors and everything else. But we still have this like forgive and forget, you know, what is our memory going to be? these individual people or these individual states or these individual countries 
as they've sort of done things that are that are against what we would call like popular politics or human rights violations or something like that. Like how long will it really take to turn the tide where we where we feel that like the sort of pro pro democracy American ideal of you know equal rights and things like that, where that's a little bit more universal and it is like what's the trail between Bitcoin adoption and human rights adoption, you know? And I think that's, that's really where the conflict and the, and the, the, the beachhead, you know, the Normandy of Bitcoin is going to be fighting that battle um, and, and fighting through the people that have, you know, that are going to have to change. They're going to have to change their stance on stuff. They're going to have to change their stance on personal freedoms and personal property. Yeah. Um, because that's really, once you, once you let the Bitcoin cat out of the bag in that sense, you can't really stuff it back in there. You know, right. once, once Bitcoin's touched 10 million people or 5 million people in a country, it's really going to be hard to get those people back in the bag. And I think that's that's where the that's where the nuance comes in, in the politics and, and some the Steve Bannon of Bitcoin, you know, the George Soros style, you know, staying out of it, but really being on top of it as a puppet master, the Bitcoin politics puppet master. Th those people are going to sort of, I think, I don't want to say show their hands, but they're going to have an opportunity to, to make big influences in the next couple of years in these, these election cycles. Yeah, that's that's interesting, even though those are terrible examples. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to use you got to use the uh, you got to use the extremes to, to I, yeah, what exactly. I like to say is you put the border in to say we don't want this to happen. This is on the far edge. We don't want that to happen. That's on the other far edge. So what is the meat in the middle? Like, how do we how do we kind of coalesce towards, you know, an ideal uh, human rights, freedom, money, freedom? you know, uh, thing. And, and, well, and how, how do we take these good ideas and create good timing out of that? The, the, the thing is, though, this is a lot different than just having these two kind of puppet masters on each side doing things. It's it really is a lot more of a movement of the people. Right. Mm -hmm. And and it's happening very organically. So so so, for instance, uh, the current congressman that represents uh, Nashville. So so Tennessee just got redistricted mainly because of all the the, the growth in, in Nashville, growth of people. So the, we're the new district. There's a, there's, a, there's a new district that is essentially downtown Nashville all the way down to kind of the southern part of Nashville. And that's where you know, most, most of the growth is. Uh, so the, the current uh, congressman that represents that uh, has announced his retirement. And the leading candidate at the moment is this guy named Robbie Starbuck. I, mm -hmm. I met him maybe six months ago or maybe before that. And we sit down and talked a little bit and he's, he's on Bitcoin for years. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's very pro Bitcoin. So, so just a seat opening up like that, the leading candidate is, is already pro Bitcoin just because he likes it. He's not even running on that platform. He's just, yeah, this, yeah, I'm not, not even going to run on that. You know, that's, that's not what I'm running on, but, but yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pro Bitcoin. I've owned Bitcoin for years. Right. And, 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 and I think that's what we start getting, right? We, we're just going to start getting people that are excited about the technology and, and, and the own it. So it's not even going to be a, it's not even going to be a platform anymore. Right. Right. And, and I, I think that's where you really get to the kind of the equal rights thing, because if you get to the point that the rights are so equal that it's not even a story anymore. Right. And it, like that, then it's, then it's good. So it doesn't really matter if it's a woman running for Senate or a man running for Senate, it's just somebody running for Senate, right. Somebody running for Congress. Right. And I think with Bitcoin, it'll be like that. It'll be like, it's not, if we get to the point that Bitcoin's a non-story because it's been so successful and so ubiquitous, that's fantastic. I think that's yeah. really what, what we should hope for and it's the best case scenario in the next couple of years. I mean, my, my hope is, I mean, obviously we're going to have midterms and it's going to be pretty, I, I think it's going to be pretty interesting because mm -hmm. 
Um, there are a lot of people out there that are only going to vote for candidates that are pro Bitcoin and, mm-hmm. and pro Bitcoin as part of their candidate, uh, part of their platform. And I think it's going to wake a lot of people up. I think four years from now, I don't think it's going to be quite at this presidential election. It could be. I hope it is. But in four years, by the time we hit those midterms, anybody that's not pro Bitcoin is basically a flat earther. Yes. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, we didn't go to the moon. That was that all happened in the studio. We're flat earth. Yeah. If you say you're anti Bitcoin two years, four years from now, you're just going to look like a crazy person and you're not going to get elected. Right. Right. And I think the the, the narrative is going to have to be I mean, the the resistance is is getting more and more futile because you see all these examples popping up of people uncovering the truth for themselves. And I think ultimately right. that's when like one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved in politics on like uh, as an outsider was because I felt like, hey, the the fight that we're having is not the right fight. You know, the, the critics of Bitcoin are not that good. Like they're not, they're not, their arguments are really bad and they keep making the same ones and they keep referencing stuff that's gotten debunked a bunch of times. So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to get together. We want to write this book. We wanted to give it to people, you know, staffers, uh, governors, mayors, anybody really that's involved in government. So they could see that there is a way that they can take Bitcoin adoption as a, and beyond the, Hey, I'm going to take my salary in it, but sort of like recruit Bitcoiners to their place, recruit Bitcoiners to their state, to their, you know, to their cause. And the one unique thing about Bitcoin, I think, is because it brings people together from all over the country, you have people that inherently want to contribute to to Robbie's campaign, even though they live in California or Arizona or something like that. You have people in California that want to contribute to Blake Masters because he's come out as pro-Bitcoin to Erica Rhodes because she's pro-Bitcoin. You know, so you have these people all over the place that are sort of like, I would say, benefiting from a name recognition or whatever you would call it because they're becoming part of the Bitcoin brand in politics. Um, so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we wrote this book. And so not to shill it, but I just happen to have a copy right here. Boom. Bitcoin in the American <laughs> dream. Hey, um, and you know, the Hi, Bitcoin, the American dream on Amazon. Yeah. On Amazon. Uh, but we're going to have our, we're going to have our book release party in a, in, in a couple weeks or in a couple days, actually now it's yeah in nine days. So we're going to be going to, uh, I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but on February 10th, we're going to be having our book release party in DC. And I think it's going to be interesting to see who we get coming in there. And then once once we've had people, you know, read this book, what kind of like that's the first step in the rabbit hole for somebody. And then they're going to start doing their own research and get deeper into the podcast and sort of, you know, the essays and the and the deep the deeper books like Fiat Standard, Bitcoin Standard, you know, that, that sovereign individual. It'd be really interesting to see like this, this sort of, you know, this wave and how this wave crashes together you know, in DC from the, the younger staffers that are, I would say, very open-minded. And a lot of them join the DC circuit so they can make a positive change. That's what they want to do, right? But they might yeah. be stymied. But if they start getting together, they're like, oh, wait, are you the are you one of the Bitcoin guys in your office? Are you the Bitcoin guy in this guy's office? Eventually you see this thing and they're going to be the ones that orange pill everybody else from within. Um, and I still think that's going to be easier to do, to, to orange pill the, the three to 600 people in DC that really count as opposed to like knocking on doors like a seventh day adventist and be like have you have you heard can i can i interest you in some satoshi nakamoto have you had have you taken <laughs> satoshi into your life you know that's just gonna be a very hard sell to a lot of people that have never heard of it but once you have influencers you know uh like i like to say you have the horses in a, in a train or like the dogs in the iditarod and you you 
you know, you get the, the leaders in that group to lead and go as fast as they can. And then everybody else is going to catch up because they're going to see the tracks. They're going to, they're going to know who to follow and stuff like that. And I, I really think that's what, what this next phase is. And, and like you said, three to four years from now, we could see a drastic increase in Bitcoin consciousness, Bitcoin awareness, Bitcoin adoption, um, especially if the, the results of the 22 midterms bode well and, and, and go positive as a result of that, meaning like the change that people want to make with this next election cycle, if it takes hold and does its thing, that's going to have a, you know, that's going to have a sort of a one, two, four, eight approach, you know, geometrically uh, to the 2024 election and the 2026 and 2028 elections altogether. Yeah. No, that's quite interesting. Well, look, we'll, we'll definitely have representatives from Valkyrie at the book release party. Uh, I won't be able to be there, unfortunately, but uh, we'll definitely have representatives there. And uh, we really look forward to that release. Yeah, I feel like uh, the deeper I dive into into Bitcoin, the warmer the water is, and the more I want to stay there. Maybe just like I'm I'm investigating, uh, you know, immersion mining and all this other stuff. It's just there's so many angles to to Bitcoin. It's just fascinating. And I think it's it's really fascinating when we can when we can look at the nuance of those little things and we can say that we don't need to make a sweeping generalization of anybody. We can take every leader, every state, every city, every country as a case by case basis and sort of rank them internally and vote with our feet, vote with our money, vote with our business and see who we're going to support. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be the most exciting development really for me internationally since the Berlin wall came down as this sort of, as people get more interested in exploring these places that maybe weren't on the radar before. Yeah, maybe we'll all walk away with little chunks of the uh, Federal Reserve building. <laughs> that that would be a historic occurrence. I'd be really into that. <laughs> so that's a good note to end on, right there, Stephen. I like that exactly. And I can I can hear the Gestapo unit coming through my door right now as we're <laughs> laughing about that. Yeah, I didn't mean it. Don't don't get me, Janet. So all right, man. Well, it's great talking awesome. to you again, and I'll uh, I'll see you soon. Hopefully in Nashville. I got to make it out there, or in Texas. Uh, where we can both both convene. Yeah, make a stop back in on your way back from D.C. Regardless, we'll see each other in Texas in March. All right, well, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Bitcoin Bottom Line. I'm C.J. Wilson for Stephen McClurg, and uh, stay safe out there and stack sats. Stay humble, Bitcoiners.